Hello and welcome to this week's episode of For What It's Earth, your weekly climate, environment and sustainability podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are going to be looking at sustainable food choices. So stick around for that. Okay, well, before we get before we get too into it, Lloyd, what is what is the one good thing that you've done this week? I have, let me have a think. I have bought recently a new cookbook. Oh. I'm not very good with cooking. Uh, so actually this one was fantastic. Um, it's uh, The Roasting Tin. Okay. Uh, people might have heard of it because it's been selling pretty well on Amazon recently. Oh, it? Uh, but it's the vegetarian and vegan version. Oh, um, I'm not vegetarian and vegan, related. but I am trying to cut down okay. on my meat for reasons which we will discuss. I know. Today, doing the know research for this much. one has really made me think about life. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's a fantastic book. It's um, really simple recipes, and it's literally all the idea is that it all goes in one roasting tin. You just bang it in the oven. Oh. Like Twenty minutes later, thirty minutes later, you you've got a veggie. So like veggie a nice one pot situation. Sorry. Like a one pot kind of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. Literally. And it's, it's such simple What have you made with it? Ingredients. What have I made? Uh, I started cooking with okra. What even is that? It's a type of pasta. Okay. I didn't know this before I opened this book. Um, there's recipes with like bulgur wheat a school day. as well. Again, never cooked with that before. No. Um, well, I mean, that's what I like is that as you go through, there's sections and then it'll say... Uh, okay, you've, you've cut these ones. Now here's how you could build your own uh, roasting tin recipe based on like adding a bit of citrus, adding a carb, oh. adding a bit of, you know, etc. So it really arms you for life after the book. I like to think so. Um, I've still got the training wheels on, but we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll cook <laughs> I a look forward later. to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's better than mine. I keep losing my e-coffee cup and uh, so I've bought a second one. Oh no. The no, first one's out there somewhere. It, it, well, it tends to disappear for about a week and then reappear somewhere. Oh, so you just have two. So I've got, I think I'm, yeah, I've got two on the go. So you should keep one at work, keep one at home. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, so, so then when you commute to work, work, you can stop by with your coffee cup, but then you'll have two at work. I, you, you have to sort See, the logistics the issue, out yourself. That's the issue that I've had. I'll take it to work in the morning and forget to take it back with me. And then I'll, before, in the yeah. morning, get ready for the next day at work and it'll be at work. So I won't have it for the and journey. And I realise no coffee for you. Yeah. Because I'm not going to stop and buy a buy another one. So that's my quite simple but hopefully good thing that we've done this week. That counts, yeah. Because you didn't give in to buying another coffee cup from the shop. So no. I think that counts. No, everyone seems to have those vegware ones at the moment. I don't know whether they're actually good. I haven't. I still haven't decided. Vegware. You know, they're like they are uh, like cardboard, but it uh, says on them in green with a leaf. It says vegware, and it makes. I think. I don't know whether it is actually good and sustainable i probably need to do some research Maybe but we'll i still have, a, still have avoided them yeah i still think it's probably better to take your own so yeah now i've got two two different colors different needs and hopefully we'll have one with me most times fantastic right go on then lloyd introduce us we are going to be talking today about um our diet specifically how we can make our diets more sustainable yes so we'll be talking inevitably about plant-based diets i guess you can see that all coming but um it's important to say at this point that neither i nor emma are actually vegetarian or vegan no 
we, we, we like a good bacon sandwich I in the morning. I just love a bacon like a sandwich. Burger. And that's the biggest cliche of everyone when they say, oh, I couldn't go vegan. It's, well, you know, I'll just miss bacon sandwiches. Everyone says but that. I would. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I would miss them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll be talking about that, um, about what we can do and also the main considerations, I suppose, yeah. when it comes to our food. Uh, a good fact, perhaps, to lead in with right now. Yes. Is that the world population is expected to grow to 10.5 billion by 2050. Oh, 10.5 billion. And of those, 70% of people are going to be probably in urban areas. Goodness me. There's a lot of people to feed. That is a lot of people to feed. Yeah, and we're we're already struggling, I would say. Yeah, it's definitely something you see in the news quite a lot, isn't it? Exactly. And not just struggling in terms of feeding everyone, but also struggling in terms of the effect our food when we grow it and transport it. Um, and also the food waste, I suppose. Yes, um, What happens to it? We, we struggle to deal with that. And if our population's worldwide is going to grow by an extra 4 billion, 4 or 5 billion. 3? We're on 7.6 7. billion, I think. Oh, I must have skipped 100 years. <laughs> Possibly, but I'm either way, your point, <laughs> your point still stands. There's going to be so many more of us in such a short space of time. We don't physically know how we're going to do it, how we're going to feed everyone. Exactly. and There's too much pressure on our resources at the moment. Riding to the rescue. Um, <laughs> perhaps our uh, uh, scientists worldwide who have got to deal with this problem, right? Not just scientists, but politicians, yes. etc. So there's in January 2019, so very, very recently... Oh, look at that hot topic, guys. Exactly. Nice and new We're and noteworthy. To <laughs> <laughs> January 2019, there was a report published in the Lancet mm-hmm. um, uh, journal. And that was uh, some nutrition experts, some planetary scientists, um, uh, and loads of others. Uh, they came together and they sat down and said, what would the diet need to look like if we want to feed the 10.5 billion people and do that sustainably? So it's not a burden on the earth and our resources. Mm. Um, and, and what does it look like? Uh, surprise, surprise. It's very plant-based, right? Um, it doesn't eliminate meat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's plant-heavy, isn't it? It's exactly, not, yeah. Not so full vegan. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And we're it, not, By the way, we're not bashing vegans in no, this. No, not at all. I've got plenty of vegan I didn't, friends. Yeah, I didn't, didn't mean it like that, sorry. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing <laughs> but, wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, what we're, what we're saying is, yeah, there's, there's going to be a huge shift towards plant-based as a, as a larger part of our diet. So we're not saying that everything needs to be scrapped if it's animal. Exactly. And almost, almost inevitably it has to be plant-based uh, because, well, it takes up less room. Quite, right? Yeah. Quite simply. It's a huge land use issue, isn't it? Exactly, which we'll get onto a bit more later. So it, it does include meat, uh, but quite interestingly, it sort of breaks down region by region what oh, they really? need to do okay so for example like north america need to reduce meat uh consumption dramatically uh by like 85 percent or something like that and those hamburgers folks exactly but at the same time increase uh the amount of uh, legumes and nuts they eat and it's a very similar story for europe okay yeah and then other parts tough. of the world uh like africa it's the other way around oh really yeah, so... Uh, so it would be more sustainable for them to increase their meat consumption. Yeah, exactly. When you take into health oh. into consideration as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Health is another thing that we're going to be talking about. We don't we don't tend to cover cover health quite so much. Uh, I know this is mostly an environmental podcast, but it is going to definitely play a role in this podcast. Exactly, because anything we talk about food, that's yeah, got to be in the conversation somewhere. Yeah, you can't ignore the, the health benefits have to marry up with the environmental benefits, don't they? Exactly. So this diet... Um, gives you some choices it's not completely strict so for example Excellent. say oh you need this much protein so we'll let you have 
this much milk a day or you could have an egg a day. It sounds like Something Slimming like World. Exactly. <laughs> you have like a certain quota per day, except it is literally slimming the world. And without the certificates every couple yeah. of milestones. Yeah, true. And you'd have to weigh yourself every day. That's much better. <laughs> Get 10 billion people to weigh themselves every day. Uh. But I mean, they've come up with this diet and it's actually, when you first look at it, it seems very dramatic. Mm-hmm. But actually, when you really read into the reasoning behind it, I think it's it's quite reasonable. Okay. It's not too hard to think that in the future people could shift to this. I mean, when you consider, um, what's the number? So like 340% increase, increase uh, in the UK in... People who eat just plant-based diets. Wow, that has exploded. Yeah. People are getting really behind the plant-based mentality. Exactly. And on top of that, there's half a million British vegans now. Wow, quite the community. Yes, they, they are growing. They, they are out there amongst us. <laughs> uh, we're really striking the us and them chord, aren't we? That's not what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly pedal back on that But one. yeah, it's definitely a lifestyle choice that people are adopting much more readily and is becoming more common. And, you know, that's reflected in, in pretty much anywhere you go for dinner uh, or brunch or anything these days. There's always at least two kind of vegan options. Yeah, that's so it's true. it's so widely accepted now. I mean, I'm starting to eat more of it when I go out as well. Just mm. not because I think, like, oh, I should probably eat the vegetarian or vegan option because actually it's, it's pretty good these some days. Some of them sound really nice. Yeah. yeah, I've had some really nice bean stews oh, before. Mm. That's so good. It's good for a winter. Good for winter. Good probably should be in lunch stew. before we do this podcast. Now we are starving. <laughs> I'm so hungry. <laughs> anyway, well, by the end of it, we'll trade the the steak for a, a nice bean stew. Yeah, but until then, we'll uh, gorge on hard facts and statistics. Oh, I like it. Oh, oh. How about that? But so uh, yeah, we mentioned earlier health as well. Yes, and tying into all that, <laughs> um, really interesting statistic from the UN. Uh, they estimated that um, on a vegan diet you'd get 8.1 million fewer deaths. Sorry, that's vegan or vegetarian, actually. Oh, wow. 8.1 million fewer deaths worldwide. Wow. Because you're more likely to lead a healthy lifestyle or because the health benefits of not eating I think the point is it's more the second one. Wow. Uh, that's probably that's element of the first one. That is a lot of people. And presumably that would also have a massive impact on our economy as well if we're putting less strain on services like the NHS. That's so true. Because yeah, we're not I wasting their time so much. Wow. Okay. That's that's a good that's a good one for team plant-based diets. There we go. I like it. So shall we dive in? Let's go for it. Right. There are several areas of concern surrounding uh the way we eat and the way we think about eating. So we thought we're going to try and break it down a little bit. Um, and one of the first things we're going to look at uh, that crops up a lot is the moment you start doing any research into not just vegan and, and plant-based diets, but any form of sustainable eating is water. Like water use is, is a huge, huge yeah. talking point. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so here's some bad news for a lot of people. Um, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's all doom and gloom here, eh? Uh, I really We like, always pull it back at the end. Always pull it back at the end. So just... If, if you're there, you're feeling a bit with. depressed, just wait to the end and we'll, we'll bring it back. <laughs> Hopefully you'll be happier. Um, I really like avocados. I hate them. You're wrong. I, I, I know it's a controversial <laughs> opinion, but I distrust their texture. They don't even have a flavour. I don't get them. I don't like them. If you've been affected by anything on this show today. <laughs> but... <laughs> Honestly, the look people give me as soon as I say I don't like avocado, like I think some people have like struck me off their friend list. I mean, I'm not going to go that far because I kind of need you for this podcast. So well, uh, we'll, we'll stay together for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, what I was about to say was uh, it's 272 litres of water to grow one 
avocado. I mean, that's just insane. I'm feeling pretty guilty right now. They are not even that big. No. They're disgusting. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> but for 272 litres of water, I can't even put that into a perspective which I can imagine. Do you know? How, like, how many bathtubs yeah. is that? I have no idea. If, but if you know the answer, please an write in and tell us. Yeah. For your brunch, your smash avo on I toast. Think, I mean, especially in the last decade, that's it's become a massive part of people's diets, isn't it? Yeah, because it's it become a such a trendy fruit. food, yeah. But uh, it's because it looks good on Instagram, guys. Exactly. And it's really tasty, but <laughs> debatable. straight away, like one of our favorite things, not so good for the environment because it's, it's not just that it takes up water. It's the fact that this water has to come from somewhere. Mm, which takes it away from places where it might be needed more. Exactly. I mean, one particularly extreme example is in Chile. Uh, this is around 2011, I think. Um, they, like some plantations were legally diverting water from rivers Ooh. and water systems for this avocado because there's such a big demand for it worldwide you know it's profitable for them to do it yeah even though highly legal and morally wrong uh so the local people had to then choose pretty much whether they want to use the water for drinking or washing clothes because they just didn't have enough of it oh gosh that's horrible also we can eat avocados it's nuts isn't it like you just don't none of that information ever filters through to us is it we don't hear these things exactly we, we just see the product on the shelf don't we yeah. unfortunately and it is it's difficult you can't it's difficult to keep on track of every food you like and every food you buy yeah and what the is. background story is we're not asking you to research every single little bit of food you eat but exactly i suppose it this feeds into the very basic bit of a cliche everything in moderation yes right on top of that there's another uh fruit you're gonna ruin another one of my I'm not so another fruit. Foods. Sticking them off the list today <laughs> Uh, there's not going to be a lot left to say by the time we're done. Uh, pineapples. So pineapples apparently Ooh, are the pineapples. fastest growing uh, by demand fruit in the oh, UK. Really? I didn't know this. Wow. Because I, I didn't really eat that much pineapple. I mean, no, I, I me neither. Like it, but it's it's not, quite difficult to cut up, isn't it? It is. It's a bit, bit of a faff. It's a bit of an effort. bit of a faff. But again, pineapples take up a lot of water to grow. And an added problem with pineapples is that they are often grown in massive monocultures. Mm. So monoculture is where it's just one, right? Literally one crop just grown endlessly in rows. Yeah. Just for acres and acres and acres, yeah, which requires a lot of pesticides as well because yes. you haven't got the natural diversity. Yeah, you have such low biodiversity in those areas that actually the ecosystems around it can fail. Um, and, and the land that it would have once been quite biodiverse and, and had a thriving ecosystem then doesn't because the only the only things that live there are the things that feed on pineapples and then we throw pesticides on yeah. them to get rid of them. Exactly. And they're kind of just a pile on the problems. They are quite often driver of deforestation. Yes. Yeah. Because you need these massive monocultures mm. to supply. So much land demand. clearing just to make space for pineapples. So that's two fruits. Have you ever um, seen a pineapple growing? Sorry? Have you ever seen a pineapple growing? As in like sat there for a couple of weeks? No, not sat and watched it. But have you seen how a pineapple grows? No. It's like a spiky bush and then like a spoke that stands up in the middle of it. And then there's just like a pineapple, like a crown. Just like one. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's really, uh, listeners, I urge you to Google it right now. If not, we'll put a picture on, on Instagram. But it's the funniest looking. It doesn't look real. It, it sort of sounds like a farming simulator, like a, The Sims or something. If it you does, yeah. Out the back. Very Sims. Yeah, very Sims. It's really odd. That's so bizarre. Oh, thanks. That's <laughs> a fun little aside for you there. 
Oh, that's, I'm never gonna, not going to get that image out of my head now. <laughs> I know what I'm Googling when I finish this. So one of, um, we're not just talking crops that have a huge water demand. Uh, yeah. A secondary element is, is actually livestock. Um, so again, we're not, we're not trying to go down the, the meat eating bashing route, but um, actually one of the things that's come to light in the last kind of 10, 15 years is the insane amount of water use that agriculture and livestock need. Um, so not only are you feeding the, well, not only do the li- livestock actually need to drink water to stay alive, so all of the cows that we use for meat production, but then you also need to grow crops to feed to the animals as well. And those crops, again, in turn, have really high water demands. Bit of so, a double whammy there. Yeah, yeah. It's not something, again, that ever really crossed my mind until I, until I watched actually something called The Cowspiracy. Have you seen it? No. Okay, so bear with me. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen The Cowspiracy or not. It's on Netflix and it's, it's quite a controversial watch. Um, I have to confess I didn't make it through the whole thing. It basically follows um, one guy and his kind of plight to uncover all of this kind of unknown element of the livestock industry. And he was looking at water use and actually domestic water use, I think, in globally only accounts for about 5% of our total water use. And agriculture is like a, a much, much bigger proportion of how much water we use across the world. And he was kind of painting this uh, this picture of, of having to rise up against corporations and, and try and delve into this mystery. And it's quite a, I wouldn't say that it was the best watch if you wanted to learn like a documentary, because it gets a little bit like cool to armsy um, and, and a little bit kind of feels like it's coming from a very um, like passionate environmentalist. Um, as opposed to necessarily like teaching you what you need to know. But the points that it raises are really interesting. And that's one of the things that it, it raises, the amount of water that is used for livestock that we just don't even don't even have a clue about. But yeah, so possibly Very watch that, folks. So where, where can you watch that? I think it's on Netflix. But I have to admit, I, I didn't quite make it to the end. It just, sure. it just felt like it was getting too dramatic and a little bit kind of uh, cinematic. Sure. I like a good old documentary, me. I'm a David Attenborough girl. I want my facts. <laughs> and the figures and i want some nice some nice unseen footage i guess it's one of the dangers of that kind of debate yes in that you know you, you never be going with an opinion yes straight away which is very difficult to get out of yeah especially definitely. if you want to encourage people to act yeah things can get quite sensationalist and that's where i switch off the moment it starts to get a bit like sensational sure. i start to stop listening quite so much because so, nobody, nobody wants to be preached to you know people just kind of want to learn and and that's you know, that's kind of one of the things we want to do with this podcast. We just want to inform you guys and you can make whatever decisions you like. But, you know, it's possibly, possibly worth watching The Cowspiracy. There um, we are. So if yeah. anyone's seen it as well, then get in touch with us. Yeah, let's know what you thought. I hope I'm not alone in that. Maybe everyone loved it, possibly. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to hear people's thoughts <laughs> Another controversial thought. First avocados and now The Cowspiracy. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> just everything is ruined. Yeah. But I mean, like all of those together is quite interesting to think about what the solution is because... Quite often, I don't know, in the UK, say there's a drought or a water shortage. Mm. First response is hose pipe ban. Switch um, off. You Short can't showers. use water for ABC, like washing cars. Mm. Uh, but really, I mean, it's perhaps not severe here, but maybe in somewhere like California or somewhere, which yeah, does suffer major from drought big issues, droughts. Yeah. Globally, it's, it's going to take a bit more of a sustained rethink yes. of how we distribute this water. Yeah, and a lot of that efficient. is unfortunately not, not so much up to us as it is big industries. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we were talking about uh, agriculture 
mm-hmm. just now. So that's quite a nice little meander into the next consideration meander, with sustainability that's an excellent, of food. Sorry? Excellent word, meander. I'm going to start using it's that more. Like a bit, bit of an image of a river. I like it. Eh? Yeah, I'm thinking Oxbow Lakes, GCSE oh. geography. Do you know anyway. what they call uh, Oxbow Lakes? Oxbow Lakes in Australia. What? Billabongs. Really? Yeah, I learned this the other day. Wow. I'll have to frantically Google this to make sure this wasn't I fake facts that, that I, I just love that. Billabong. I'll check with my Aussie mates, see if they know what they are. Oh, no. <laughs> That's brilliant. They're going to be angry if I'm wrong. But oh, anyway, yeah, okay, sorry. sorry. So anyway, back on, to, back on track. Back on track. Um, agriculture is pretty bad, unfortunately, for energy use in general. Mm. and carbon footprints. Yes, that's right. We're talking greenhouse gas emissions. We are. So here's a little interesting fact. Meat is one of the least efficient food groups for the amount of energy it produces for us in terms of how we eat it versus the amount of energy it took in the first place to make and produce. That is quite a good fact. Yeah. Uh, so another another one of your fun facts as well. So agriculture makes up around, uh, it's estimated about 20% of global carbon emissions, which is actually more than all global transport emissions. So that puts it into quite a shocking scale, I think. That's kind of worrying. Yeah. yeah. Because That's I mean, a lot. Yeah, and that's not to say that transport emissions are low. We all know they're No, that's really including like maritime shipping, long distance transport and like flights and things. That is quite an intense industry when it comes to producing carbon emissions. So to pit that against agriculture, which, you know, I don't know about you, but I, when you think of agriculture, I tend to think of like local farms. Green pastures, yeah. birds singing, sun's yeah. rising. The odd cow floating around, having a lovely time. Very chilled farmers wandering yeah. around. But actually, most agriculture is much more intense. But yeah, anyway, that was, that was quite a hard one. And then another thing, I don't know about you, but I remember at school, for some reason, this was a fact that really I remembered at school, um, Everyone used to say, well, cows produce more greenhouse gases than cars because that's they right, fart yeah. methane. Because a cow burps and farts, right? Yeah, I think that's, so. that's, that's the like thing people always talk about. Haven't they? Again, haven't haven't checked. But I think that's, <laughs> yeah, that was quite a key thing that I seem to remember. But then if we are talking about the amount of methane that's produced, um, if you pit methane up against carbon dioxide, uh, methane is actually has, has a much more destructive uh, impact on the environment than carbon dioxide and it's kind of one that doesn't always get quite as much press as carbon dioxide because we always talk about carbon footprint carbon emissions carbon's kind of the the key word yeah exactly. actually, i mean actually probably quite a point, quite point as well is that we're not saying um for example oh, the, the agriculture industry takes up more than uh, uses or produces more carbon sorry than uh transport so therefore, we don't have to worry about transport. We should focus on agriculture. Oh, yeah. We're, no, we're definitely, definitely saying, not saying that at all. Focus on all of it. Yeah. And work it into one. There's big no one plan. global solution. Is the global? Global solution. Global. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many, so many things that we can do. Um, but certainly, both of them need, need looking at, that's for sure. But yeah, back, back to my cows. Um, in the US, allegedly, methane emissions from livestock. Uh, is on a par with the same amount of methane emissions which are produced from natural gas in the States. That's another nice, massive amount to you there. It's worse for cows, isn't it? Yeah. And globally, cows produce uh, up to 150 billion gallons of methane per day. Again, wow. quite a lot. Not sure on visualising the gallon. Not, But I think 150 billion is probably quite a few. I mean, when you consider those numbers and the statistic earlier about just how big the earth's population is going to be mm. you kind of realize we can't just in- increase our cow livestock 
No. It's going to make it worse. We start looking at alternatives. Especially in the sheer numbers, we already mm. rear livestock, whether that be cows, pigs, etc. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have focused quite a lot on cows on this, but we do mean most livestock. Actually, thinking of, of cows, I went to, um, when I was in Sweden a couple of months ago, uh, I went to... Yeah, are, bragging about the globetrotting oh, again. Oh, sorry. And I flew there as well. Oh. Damn it. Oh, no. But I went to this a lecture on it was called sustainable pleasure and i was kind of like oh god suggestive sorry what is this but it was actually uh, it was like one of sweden's really famous chefs his name was paul cox and his whole ethos is trying to improve the way that we eat sustainably but doing so in a way that we find pleasurable it's not like a a downgrade you know we're not um he wants vegetables to be the, the main ingredient so in his restaurant you order a vegetable dish and you can choose to add meat as a side so it kind of flips the whole notion of meat being the main event on its head oh interesting yeah that's so true i mean yeah. especially in the uk there's kind of this uh, entrenched view that your dinner at the end of the day you get home from work needs to be meat and a bit of veg yeah on the side and possibly like, a carb or two exactly like yeah a bit of beef some greens some rice some potatoes every day yeah exactly that's that's kind of what we've got we've all grown up with certainly and that's kind of how it's continued but he said if you divvy up the amount of cows that we have and we can sustainably have in the world um and you divvied up how much you were then almost entitled to per person across everyone you would only be entitled to half a cow every year and he was like you eat more than half that. a cow a year half a cow a year is not actually that much Compared to how many burgers and bits and bobs we eat. So he made this really incredible beetroot and beef blend burger, which I was sceptical about, but it was possibly one of the best burgers I've ever had. I'm getting hungry again. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) But yeah, his whole concept of trying to get people to appreciate vegetables and the natural flavours and things that you can create uh, with non-meat products and then having meat as a secondary element was really interesting. I thought it was really good. Awesome. So one of the things we mentioned earlier as well was land use. Yes. Right. Uh, agriculture takes up a hell of a lot of land, whether that's for uh, growing plants and crops or it is for, as we said, raising livestock. Yes. Um, it's quite interesting. I was looking into alternatives uh, to our classical farming methods, I suppose. Okay. Um, and one thing that came up is a type of urban farming. Oh, okay. Um, so so it's, it's not just a small scale, like growing some basil out on your balcony but not you and i doing garden no farming. it's a bit more industrial scale than that uh, for example there's a company called aero farms uh, okay. based in new york mm. uh the pictures i saw it's more like a warehouse right so you, whether you call it farming i don't even know because it's literally stacks and stacks and stacks of plants that are grown very intent okay. uh, intensively on kind of like warehouse shelves like above each other Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. So just in every layer, there's like there's, there's loads of lights and there's soil, um, oh. and then layer above lights and soil. And I suppose as much as that is that you know you can make it as big or as small as you want. It's like skyscrapers. When we run out of room in cities, we go up. That's literally it. Wow. I love that idea. And if you think world population growing, urban areas growing, we're gonna have a bit of a squeeze on agricultural land, especially if we don't want to impact the ecosystems and the yeah. environment around it. So it's quite an interesting idea a one that intuitively you think is a, a natural successor to the yeah, farming I'm, we do today i'm instantly on board that sounds like it could be really useful exactly and aero farms they, their claim is that uh, their crops are pesti- uh, pesticide free mm-hmm. fab because i guess they can uh completely enclose their growing space right it's, it's oh not, yeah so they won't have natural exposure, yeah, they, they can have natural much, weeds. much better biocontrol i suppose and they also claim 95 percent less water use than regular 
farming. So it kind of sounds like a win-win. It does, actually. Uh, I suppose I... as well, if you're able to grow in the centre of a city, you're going to cut down on transport costs because you can feed that city locally from within. That's literally, I, I, I think that's in. one of their main selling points as oh, well, because they then package it and sell it under their own brand as well um, to local shops. That's brilliant. Well, I hope that technology moves over to the UK. Exactly. I, mean, I think in the US, uh, typically your food will travel between one and 2,000 miles to get to you. That's holy moly. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, wow. Because I think, well, I suppose worldwide, if you think we've got things growing in Chile, Costa Rica, parts of Africa. Back to the avocados. We want it all. Back to the avocados. We want it all shipped into us all year round. These sorts of things are going to be an alternative. So there's that's uh, aero farming. Uh, There are other things like uh, aquaponics. Okay, I know nothing about this as well. You're going to have to enlighten me. So uh, you've got aquaculture, which people might have heard of, where, for example, you intensively farm fish as Mm -hmm. opposed to just getting them out of the sea uh, wild. But a lot of that is still based in the sea, isn't it? You you kind of have sea pens, right? Yeah, exactly. You've got enclosed spaces. Um, So that's one industry. And then an interesting evolution of that, I suppose, Mm -hmm. um, is that is hydroponics where you've got aquaculture and using that water you also grow plants and other crops on top of it so you use the same water oh cool for all of it so you're almost making like a mini An biosphere yourself. in that you've got nitrates and phosphates being exchanged and they pretty much don't take in any more water than what's already in the system it's pretty much all That's recycled brilliant. through so oh, i like that a lot could well be the bigger future combined with aero farms and combined with i mean did you see last year they grew a burger in the lab yes i was going to ask you that would you eat uh lab grown meat sauces i think i would i think i'd try I it i'd have a problem with it yeah I, mean, I think because i don't i think a lot of vegans and vegetarians who have taken the ethical approach to cutting meat out of their diet would have uh maybe a slight ethical dilemma i think they would because i suppose the original cell culture that comes from still has to come from yeah, meat in some way it's come from so. stem cells isn't it they grow it out of stem cells and, and grow it in certain cultures that encourage it to grow into muscle tissue. That's right. But in terms of like me as a meat eater, like even if it didn't taste as good as authentic meat, mm. you could still balance the two, couldn't you? You could just have like proper meat as a, a fortnightly, monthly treat or something and then substitute the rest with lab-grown meat. Yeah. And also, you know, that a lot of the other issues that come with highly intensified meat production, like antibiotics that they often pump into a lot of livestock that's not going to be an issue because it's grown in a cell culture in a sterile environment so true which is quite cool as well so true and just think how perfectly shaped your burger would be (laughs) what if they can they grow it into the shape of a burger sure why not yeah i like it i i I would be interested to try it definitely i'd give it a go there you go come into a restaurant near you we'll do a live podcast from that one day it's a plant-based eating Yes. Which has kind of inevitably become a central part of this show. It's it's not just about saving the environment. It's also no. saving us, right? Yeah. As you mentioned with that wild stat earlier from uh, 8.1 million fewer deaths estimated if kind of the whole of, of the world took on a more vegan outlook. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is. We thought maybe we'd just go into a few of the reasons why actually if you embrace plants more uh, it could be could be good for you. But one of the things is, is, is if you cut out things like meats, you do inevitably take in a lot more fibre in your diet because you're going to be more likely eating a lot more plants. Sure. Right? And only recently a scientist starting to really see the value of having an increased fibre uptake. I was literally reading this the other week. They were saying that it turns out that 
your fibre intake is one of, unexpectedly, one of the major uh, factors in long life. Oh, right. Wow. Okay. Yep. Cool. I'm going to start eating more fibre. There we go. So one of the other things as well is that fibre is really key for keeping inflammation levels within yourself down. Uh, so often your gut, um, as an IBS sufferer, I can attest to this, um, often your gut is one of the key areas in your body where you have quite a lot of inflammation um, because you've got so many different microorganisms kind of living and coexisting down there. And it depends yeah. if you're putting in, if you're putting things into your body, which aren't necessarily what they want to eat, they can react in certain ways. But it turns out that a lot of your gut bacteria really does love fiber. Now, some of the bacteria that live in your gut microbiome will digest the fiber into things called short chain fatty acids. And these actually um, are a signaling molecule. They, they have a real impact on your immune system and your autoimmune system. So they stimulate these things called uh, T regulatory cells, which are a part of your autoimmune system. And they basically help to signal, uh, they basically help to stop the areas of your autoimmune system from attacking your own cells and causing inflammation. So if you've got more of these white blood cells and, and red blood cells being produced as a result of your increased fibre uptake, you're going to be much better able to handle things like inflammation. So also if you're doing sport and things like sport, um, which would often give you quite a lot of impact and inflammation, you can handle that better. So you do generally tend to live by proxy a healthier lifestyle because your immune system is better because it's not having to tackle things like meat where it, it, it struggles. So that's really a fun one. You've yeah. definitely done your homework on that one, haven't you? Yeah, I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I just thought that was fascinating. I think, I think I'd think i love to learn more about how our gut can really influence how we are. I mean, that's set to be... This is a bit of a meander away. Uh, oh, oh the meander's back. <laughs> yeah, meander's back. Uh, diversion from the main uh, message of the show. But uh, the gut microbiome mm. is, is set to be almost like the major next thing in yes. medicine isn't it because there's literally a whole way we had the human genome project before there's currently a human microbiome project yes, where they're sequencing that pretty much sequencing as many gut bacteria as they can um i can't wait to find out more about that oh you know Science. we'll do that that can be on the list of, of podcasts maybe one day we'll do one looking at how our gut microbiome Oh, influences can't wait. us. It just, I just think it's fascinating. You know, there's so much about our body that we don't yet understand, and we're on the brink of learning more. Yeah, and absolutely. how we can we can coexist properly with our with our gut microbiome, and if the way that we can coexist properly is by adjusting our diet uh, so that it keeps both of us healthy. It's a nice little symbiosis. I like it. Exactly, and we can adjust our diet, and we can adjust our habits as yes. well. What and else are, can we do, Lloyd? There are things we can do in life. I'm glad you asked, Emma. <laughs> Um, so we've, we've already mentioned some of these before, but things like buying as local as you can. Yes, I go mean, and get to know your greengrocers. Exactly. You've, you've kind of got to, in some places, be lucky to have a good greengrocers or a market nearby. Mm. But if there is one, then you're, you're kind of winning, really, aren't you? Um, like in some cases, they're more expensive, but I find that not really. It's just slightly more effort to go from one shop to the other. That's the only real yeah. downside compared to going to a supermarket. It's quite, I, I quite like, it depends if I've got time, if I'm time poor, I end up in a supermarket, but if I've got like a lazy Saturday and I've got some time, I like going down to the butchers and the greengrocers. Yeah. And also you get things like, um, we went in the other day with my housemate and uh, she was buying some vegetables and the guy behind the counter was just like, do you want some cabbages? And she was like, mm, I wasn't really planning to buy cabbages. And he was like, I've just got too many, just have them, have three cabbages. You would not And get you that get that really nice relationship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. So by buying local, you're reducing your CO2 footprint. 
Yes. Um, because it hasn't travelled nearly as far, in most cases, yes. to get to that green grocery market. We might need to also buy less in general, don't we? We need to reduce our food waste. Yes, this is Because we overbuy. Our eyes are bigger than our stomachs in general on our weekly shops. Yeah, because we actually produce worldwide 1.5 times the amount of food we actually need to support everyone on the planet already. So there's a problem there with distribution, getting it to everyone that needs it. Yeah, it doesn't get to everyone. That fact really, really hit me actually when you told me that earlier. Exactly. And on top of that, a very similar thing. There's, what, two, two billion uh, malnourished and hungry people in the world and around two billion overweight and obese people in the world. Oh, my goodness. So there's probably a middle ground we can strike there. Yeah, that definitely needs some redistribution, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, this isn't obviously something that the average person can necessarily deal with no. right now. But Unfortunately, you can't send your food waste off to an impoverished community. No. But. Exactly. But we can reduce the amount of food we're buying in the first place. You can buy smaller, like I said, buy local. You can plan your meals as well. Yes. You've got some good recipe books. You can just write down your meals and just pop to the shop every couple of days, stock up. Mm. And uh, don't shop hungry. Oh, My food shop worst, doubles when I'm hungry and I come back and I'm like, oh, why have I bought you, all you of can't this? Eat it all. I don't need any of it. Yeah. You literally can't eat it all. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you can actually, we found some good tools for calculating uh, your impact perhaps. Yes. On the environment based on your diet. So one of them is on the BBC. It's a carbon footprint calculator. Yep. And we will post the link to all of these uh, afterwards. Yes, we will. So do not panic. You we will find it. And it's, it's really cool. You can like put in, um, for example, I eat cheese two times a week. And it'll come up saying, okay, that's equivalent to this many car journeys, this many showers, this many tennis courts i'm not sure why everything's measuring tennis courts these days but well we are british we are british we do love tennis <laughs> and yeah it's quite harsh that ties that... it really in doesn't it sorry it ties it it really makes you feel accountable for your actions in a way isn't it with tennis courts no sorry not tennis courts with the whole oh, the calculator, like, the calculator. <laughs> i was like yeah i, I, I guess <laughs> exactly and it'll compare that calculator will compare it to other foods as well so it'll mm. say oh that much uh, that many portions of cheese is equivalent to this much beef or okay. this or this or this or this so you can think about adjusting your habits to other things exactly yeah okay. um cool. you might like to know that uh, a glass of wine will take up less use up less water than um a coffee in its lifetime oh now that is a good fact it's not bad very so tailored drink, to drink me because two of my favorite liquids are wine and coffee <laughs> really wow well that's great I like Again, that. I might need to double check this before we put this. No, I've taken it. Just I've, I'm going to change my life around that. <laughs> <laughs> just in case I encourage people the wrong thing. So that's a comfort calculator. There's also, I found a water calculator. Now this is uh, more suited for US audience because it asks you what state you're living in. Yeah, so we did try to do things, this earlier. Yeah, so it bases some things around that, like how much, uh, uh, how many showers you're using. That bases on, I assume, US prices. Yes, water it checks out your habits. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's still pretty good because like the first half of it is about how much water you use on your car or your showers or your sinks. Yeah, it and calculates the half, your direct water use, doesn't it? Exactly. You as an individual. And the second half calculates what they call the virtual water usage, mm. where they um, look at how much water, in theory, your diet is using. Yeah. So you can put in, I eat a thousand avocados a week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, they're, they're great. Sounds like my idea of hell. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I eat this much a week and it'll give you uh, a rough amount of water 
usage mm. for that diet at the end and it'll give you little tips uh, for how you can improve. It's um, handy, yeah. Exactly. And so there's also a little website called Science Focus, uh, which will, uh, again, we'll post this page on the website and it'll, it'll just give you really simple suggestions of what you could probably eat more of, eat less of. Uh, for example, legumes, eat more of them. Love a legume. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you can eat more soft cheese over hard cheese. Oh, really? There's different water usages oh. in that, interestingly. Okay. Philadelphia sales are going to rock it. But yeah, I think essentially what we're mostly saying is that these are good ways for you to just, just be a bit smarter about what you're eating and, and to plan how you're eating. Um, so even just like little things, like one of the things we, we found as well was things like just changing what milk you use can have yeah, a massive impact. Right. So I personally drink soy milk almost exclusively because I'm lactose intolerant, which might be why I had such a rant about cows earlier. Anyway, <laughs> but the whole point is actually soy and oat milk have a much smaller water footprint than nut milks do, so your almond and your hazelnuts, and then even less so um, than, than cow milk. So one of those, especially if you drink like a lot of tea or coffee, you start every day with cereal with milk, just making a shift from cow milk to soy milk. Yeah, so true. So, so that's what we're saying as well, is that even though a shift to more plant-based diet helps in so many ways, it's, it's still not as black and white as that, is it? It's, no, it's even within that. form choices of which alternatives, like you said, within that yeah. are better. Just make worse. good decisions, guys. Make good choices. <laughs> So there we are. That is all we have time for today. I hope I haven't bashed avocados and cows and pineapples and meat eaters and vegans too much today. Hopefully there's, hoping, there's still yeah. some market. Hopefully some people are still listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just switched off one by one. Oh no, we've insulted everyone. <laughs> but anyway, what uh, we'll do is we've got uh, social media channels open for you guys <gasps> to get in touch yes, with us. We are. Uh, so please like, let us know uh, your thoughts on the show or what choices you've made or what your carbon footprints were for example if you use the calculator exactly or you can just tell us why we're talking a little rubbish or if you like it then lavish us with let praise us know. i we're guess just... oh yeah actually that's a good one <laughs> the praise would be fantastic no just just let us know what you think yes yeah, so you can get in touch with us on our instagram on so we are on instagram at for what it's earth podcast fantastic and then we're also on facebook and twitter as well so just search for us and you'll find us there yeah, we're just around you know we're, we're just floating there. around we're easy to find fantastic reach out Go forth and be green. Yes, indeed. We'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.